0: It's an exciting subject that we've been given because we live, don't we, in extraordinary times. The angels are working at the moment, aren't they, across the world to bring about the purpose of God. And and as they do so, for for those of us watching, we're seeing exceptional and exciting events taking place. We'd like to spend our session trying to, to to, to build a big picture of what's happening across Europe, and the the Middle East at the moment, to prepare the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like to start our considerations a little closer to home. We've been interested, haven't we, just in the last week or so, to see the challenges in the British Parliament, where there's been uproar and outrage across the uh, dispatches, where many feel, Rightly or wrongly, as Christadelphians, we need to be reminded that we're not political. We are simply interested observers in what is taking place. And in the comments that the, the, the press make about the events happening in the world, uh, th- this comment, there's a country that voted to leave the EU and now sees a political establishment trying to block that. It sees a Parliament, a common speaker, the BBC, the civil service, big businesses trying to stop Brexit. After yesterday, alas, many people will suspect the Supreme Court of joining the forces of Establishment Remain. People are disenchanted, aren't they? They're struggling in Britain with politics. More than half of British voters want an election now as they blast Establishment Plot to block Brexit. British voters fear establishment plot to stop Brexit and demand an immediate election. The cartoonists are having their say, aren't they? There's only one law. There must be no Brexit. And we look on, don't we, and we ask, what's happening? Why is this taking place? And we shouldn't be surprised. Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. All of us, whether young or old, will know the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Babylon. And we'll remember that his dream was of a great image. The head of gold was Babylon. The chest and the arms of silver were the Medes and the Persians. The, the, the belly and thighs of brass were the Greeks. The legs of iron were Rome and of course the Roman Empire split into two and at the end of that there was a fourth kingdom and we read verse 41 that whereas thou sawest the feet that after the fourth kingdom whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron the kingdom will be divided but there shall be in but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken, partly brittle. So, so the idea being that what we see in our times is the strength of the iron, the iron that came from Rome, the strength of an establishment, of a political elite. But it's mixed with ordinary men and women, because of the nature of democracy, that ordinary men and women are able to be voted into power, or are able to vote and cause massive catastrophes, like Brexit, so many, of course, would see. And so, as Christadelphians, we shouldn't be surprised that We're seeing these challenges in the British Parliament as they try to push Brexit over the line and many try to push Brexit back from the brink. We're just interested observers in what is taking place. EU leaders now believe this week that an extension is highly likely. Brexit, latest news, The Telegraph yesterday... Britain is approaching a moment of truth, Stephen Barclay says, as the EU talks resume. Will it happen? Won't it happen? And as Christadelphians, as Bible students, we look on and we think, how are the angels going to make this work? And in all of this, as so often is the case, we're just given little snippets along the way to say, hold on to your faith. And in the last week... This was one of the major headlines in the newspapers that many of you will have seen. How Britannia ruled the waves in the Bronze Age. 3,000 years old tin tin ingots from Devon and Cornwall found in Israel reveal the island's ancient trade routes dating back to 1300 BC. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Just as we start to wonder, is Brexit going to happen? Do we really think that 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 Tarshish is Britain, headlines are thrown at us like this. I'm grateful to the brother who kindly emailed me this. Here's a picture of the the, the tin ingots, and and a map went with it. Britannia ruled the waves. We're not surprised, are we? The ships of Tarshish, the Bible talks of. It talks of the great trading power. and One of the great uh, wares that they traded with was, of course, tin. You see, Christadelphians have always believed that Britain is Tarshish. And although there may be some who occasionally may question that, broadly speaking, that's been the position of our community for over 170 years. This is uh, John Brother Thomas re- writing in 1861. He says, an objection to England being numbered with the ten. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the ten horns. That we see uh, in Revelation chapter 17. He says, England, or I I think what what he really means is England and Wales, doesn't he? Just to be clear. (laughs) But but, but what he says is an objection, we'll, we'll paraphrase, to Britain. Being numbered with the ten is that she's not a country of the great sea world. In other words, she's not part of Europe. The ten horns were to ascend out of the Mediterranean upon which Daniel saw the Tempest raging, But the British Isles afar off have no relation to it at all. So Christadelphians, you see, have always understood that Britain is not part of the European power. She's separate. That's why in Ezekiel 38, when we see the nations, many of which we just read, Tarshish is not amongst the group that is with Gog and the Gogian Confederacy. This was the editor's note in Eureka in 1992 where, of course, Britain was affiliated with the European common market. And so the editor made the note at the time, this can only be temporary. And before, the beast of the sea, the the, the European power is again formed in the latter-day manifestation as required by the prophecy of Revelation 17. She must withdraw or be excluded therefrom. This is Brother Thomas, again, writing in Eureka in 1861. He says another objection to Britain, helpfully this time, being numbered among the ten horns, is that though though indeed she is ruled ecclesiastically by a name of blasphemy, her constitution is in word and deed opposed to the name of blasphemy. So what he's saying is, Although Britain is ruled, uh, you know the, the, the Church of England, the Church of Wales, the, the, the Protestant organisation, the ecclesiastical organisations over Britain are entirely wrong. they are a name; of, they are not the name of blasphemy that we see the papacy over in Europe. He says, the ten horns all worship this name. Th- that is the Pope. They recognize it as their Holy Father. They maintain ambassadors at his court. But blasphemous as Britain is, in her constitutional ecclesiasticism, she protests against and repudiates the chief blasphemer of the world. So he's saying Britain is going to have to come out of Europe. And many of you will will, will have seen, when... That vote took place a couple of years ago for Britain to come out of Europe. What Brother Thomas said here in 1860 came to pass in the most extraordinary way. In that every single head of state from all of the European nations in the EU went to visit none other than the Pope. That's exactly what Brother Thomas talked about. And that's exactly what took place, because he read his Bible carefully. In fact, they had a a photo opportunity, and Mm -hmm. I often think that the the, the angels were there, I'm sure they were, just organizing that photo, saying to the uh, photographer, look, why don't you use that picture there? That looks a good picture for this particular, uh, this shot. And uh, the picture was taken in front of Michelangelo's famous fresco, The Last Judgment. So, it just is extraordinary, isn't it, that as we look at these things in the world today, we're watching Bible prophecy take place before our eyes. Can we turn to Revelation chapter 17? Because we do well just to remind ourselves of what this prophecy has to say. You remember that, In Revelation 17, we see the picture of the woman riding the beast. Now, the beast, we know by going back to Daniel and following it through Revelation, is talking of the power, the fourth beast of Daniel's prophecy. It's talking of the European power. And the woman is going to need to ride this beast. And the woman, we know, is speaking of the apostate church. It's the papacy. So in Revelation 17, we've got the picture of the papacy riding Europe. And the the, the references on the screen there just help us identify with absolute certainty who this is, this, this, this Roman beast uh, that's come, this, this European beast. And we see that the, 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 the ten kings of the beast all have one mind and they give their power and their strength to the beast. And riding that beast is the woman, is the papacy. And of all the turmoil taking place right now because of Brexit, as European nations struggle, the questions are being asked. in February of this year, can Pope Francis save Europe? Pope Francis is desperate to save Europe. Pray for Europe, for unity, he says. The Pope said that Europe needs to take up against the mysticism of the founding fathers, take up again the mysticism of the founding fathers. Europe needs to be itself, to rediscover its identity, its own unity, in order to overcome divisions and borders. He's got a desire that Europe might once again be the dream of the founding fathers. Now, this is all extremely significant because before the Lord comes, we'll expect to see the Pope over Europe, having a great control of Europe. Or well, There may be an overlap, of course, but we expect to see What we're seeing at the moment, the Pope interfering and and talking about European politics, trying to unify them, because he is the woman, he represents the woman, that is going to ride the beast. And why it's so significant is because of what that woman is saying to the beast. In fact, he's saying to the nations of the world that the apostate system is telling the world what to expect when Antichrist comes. So this is taken from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like Christ, Antichrist, this is the Encyclopedia Britannica talking about the church's position on Antichrist. Just look carefully at this description. Antichrist will come to Jerusalem. But as the opposite of Christ He will be enthusiastically hailed and revered by the Jews. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Because our understanding, and any serious Bible student's understanding, of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he will go first, where? To save the tents of Judah. He will go to the Jews. And the church is setting it up that when the Lord does appear and does fulfill Bible prophecy, those who aren't reading their Bible will look on. And most in the church do not read their Bibles. And they will see a man fitting the description perfectly of the church that must therefore be Antichrist. The woman which you saw is that great city who reigns, Revelation 17 says, over the kings of the earth. And we've put some passages on the screen there talking of Antichrist. And we just see carefully that John, when writing, is inspired to say he is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. You think of the doctrine of the Trinity, that that is what we see in the world today from the church. Now, I'd just like to play you a video, a a, a radio clip, of a radio um, program that was sent to me in the week. So this this program was from two days ago. Just just I'd like.
1: So what and happens? He finds, he finds this, this population which has been given terrible things. But he he then faces up the Antichrist, and there is a battle. Yes. So can we, you tell us about that? Yes. Place? So what happens is the Antichrist uh, is, is expected to make an alliance with the newly reformed, uh, newly formed uh, Israel. And uh, and to protect Israel, to allow Israel to rebuild the temple, and to protect them from uh, an onslaught of invading armies. Once he's defeated these invading armies, he's then basically in control of the world. He then, um, he then betrays Israel. He begins uh, persecuting Jews. He desecrates the temple, um, and he demands to be worshipped as God. And this is where 666, the mark of the beast, comes in, because everybody who submits to the The Antichrist gets this mark and those who don't submit don't get the mark and are and are slaughtered. Um, It's it's all very lovely. And uh, and so this is the moment at which God begins to intervene, sends a series of plagues which culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. And that's the moment when Jesus, with the saints who've been raptured, returns as a heavenly army to defeat the Antichrist's army.
0: I just wanted to say quickly, if all listeners are now looking for their Bibles for the bit where all this is written down, the whole point is it's not written down in the Bible in that sequence of the amazing clarity that Beth just gave it. And in a sense, that's the game. That's the challenge. Extraordinary. Isn't that extraordinary? Thanks, Auntie Ruth, for sending me that. Isn't that extraordinary? That at the end of that, (laughs) he says, now, those of you who are getting your Bibles out to find where this is written down, I wouldn't bother because you can't find it. It's not written down. Who puts their faith in that? Do you see the way that the church is setting things up that we might, uh, that the rest of the world rather, might fall, that when the Lord befall, that when the Lord comes, they would say this is Antichrist? The Catholic teaching on the identity of the Antichrist, this is from the Vatican website. Uh, The Catholic website, rather. Above all, moreover, he will love the nation of the Jews. After that, he'll build the temple in Jerusalem, restore it again speedily, and give it over to the Jews. The Savior came into the world in the circumcision, that is the Jewish race. He will come in the same way. They're telling us what's going to happen, but they're making sure that those who don't read their Bibles will think that it is not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is why the woman needs to ride the beast, because she's got to get her doctrine across to the peoples and the nations of the world. She is in charge. The woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. As Europe votes, Pope wages a quiet campaign for its soul. Though usually styled as a Pope of the peripheries, Francis has never made a speech directly sketching out a social and political future for, say, Asia or Africa. Yet when it comes to Europe, he's laid out such a vision five separate times. He wants to ride the beast. As new fractures emerge at the seams of the European Union, the Pope and his bishops seem keenly aware of the current battle for the soul of Europe. And we've seen, haven't we, in the last couple of months, the uh, European Parliament uh, take on a new leader. And we're interested to see that Pope Francis, the article says, may just hit it off with the new EU leader, von der Leyen. She gets, we're told, the Pope's blessing, of course, because he wants to ride the beast. Who is she? the new European Commission President. Well, one of uh, her stated aims is, uh, she's an extremely bright uh, linguist, she's a doctor, Uh, she's been part of the establishment of Europe, she grew up in it, her father was part of it, and and one of her stated aims is that she um, is keen on the concept of a European army. She doesn't see it as something that should be an issue to NATO, Rather, it can work alongside NATO. And so we're interested, aren't we? Can there be a European army? Can the dream for many Europeans become a reality? What do we read in Revelation 17? That they'll give their power and their strength, not to the papacy, to the beast. That that Europe itself may have a power. We see it in the euro, in their currency. But we're interested, aren't we, in this idea of the European army? Is it time, this is this month, for an EU army? If I can read this, I'll attempt to read it to you. With Britain set to, in theory, leave the EU in 2019, one of the largest defence spenders in the European Union is about to leave. Almost 25% of EU defence expenditure currently comes from the UK. And Britain has historically obstructed any moves towards a common EU military. With the British in their veto on the way out, and with President Trump openly questioning US commitment to NATO, could it finally be time to move ahead on security and defence integration? Europe, they say, is ready. This is September this year, this month, is ready for its own army. I want to show you a clip from uh, the the Nigel Farage as an MEP in the European Parliament uh, just a couple of months ago. But it is in the aspect of defence that I think people's minds should be focused. She's a fanatic for building a European army, but she's not alone. When it's completed, NATO will cease to exist or have any relevance in Europe at all. And, of course, not to be left out of this, French President Emmanuel Macron, on Bastille Day last Sunday, stood at the front of an open-top car with his nascent European Defence Force behind him, looking for all the world like an updated version of Napoleon. But it's just to give us that glimpse uh, of uh, Macron there as a Napoleonic figure. Uh, through the streets of Paris. Emmanuel Macron in controversial talks with Russia ahead of the G7. This was in mid-August. So what we're seeing now is because Britain clearly seems to want out of Europe, our European friends are then saying, well, if you want out of Europe, what are we going to do? And they look further west, and what they see with Trump doesn't fit in with the the European uh, ideology of what politics should be. And so many eyes in Europe are beginning to look east. Not least, the man who really is acting as the leader of Europe, Emmanuel Macron. In fact, we're seeing, aren't we, that the, the powerhouse of Europe, which has traditionally been Germany on the wane with uh, Angela Merkel not having, because she herself is on the way out, the, the, the power and control that she once did. And so Macron's seen the opportunity, and he's taking it, and he is trying to lead Europe. France's Macron makes Russia a top diplomatic priority. France says time has come to ease tensions with Russia. On the 9th of September this year, Emmanuel Macron's very big idea on Russia. And, and this strikes me as being amazing. This was in uh, August again. Russia is deeply European, Francis Macron says in Russian. Russia wants united and flourishing Europe, Putin claims, in a rare interview. And we, we might suggest that what we're starting to see is the strengthening ties between Russia and Europe, Europa, as it was called then by Herodotus, the historian living around the time of Ezekiel, where we could see this state, this great superpower, uh, as he saw it. Of course, uh, it was just his uh, best uh, efforts at drawing a map of the time. We're interested to see that he doesn't have on his map Tarshish, in fact. He talks of islands from where they got tin to the north and to the west of Europe, I don't know where. You go to the north and the west of Europe on Herodotus' map, where do you come to? You come to Britain, don't you? The Tarshish power. So will you turn to Ezekiel chapter 38 to look again at the reading that we had together to see the prophecy that Ezekiel is asked to give against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And we see that Gog is going to come down onto the mountains of Israel. We read that together. And Gog is going to be confederate with, amongst others, verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them. So, So Iran... Ethiopia, that's the sort of horn of Africa region, Uh, many translations will have Cush, and Libya, obviously North Africa, all of them with shield and helmet, Goma, by which we understand sort of northern Europe, France and Germany, the territory there, so we have put on the screen here The names that we have in Ezekiel 38 and how it would have been that those listening to Ezekiel in his day might have understood those place names if they understood them at all. Of course, we have the great blessing, don't we, of hindsight, to be able to see what it is that we think most likely that they're referring to. When we see that on a modern map, it's just the same. And we're seeing, aren't we, the nations beginning to be aligned. The nations of Ezekiel 38, Gog, the Gogian confederacy, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, all her bands, the house of Tagama, the north quarters, all of them. God says to Gog that he needs to be prepared, to prepare for himself, you and all your company that are assembled to you, to be a guard to them, that they might come, verse 8, onto the mountains of Israel. But on another side... There's going to be, and it's not a question of goodies or baddies. It's not as simple as that. Some might be more evil than others, but the reality is, is that we're not looking here and going, well, these are the really good nations. They're just separate to the Gogian confederacy. And so we see in verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with the young lions who will ask Russia, Gog and the confederacy when they come onto the mountains of Israel... Have you come to take a spoil? And so Russia, we're not surprised to see, because they are confederate with Iran, is furious with Trump in his call to increase sanctions on Iran. So all the time, as we're watching the news with our Bibles in our hands, we can see the dividing of the nations of Ezekiel chapter 38. Because Gomer wants to stand with Gog, we see that Macron is interested in Russia, and he, this week, when speaking to the United Nations, spoke about the fact that he feels that Iran should be able to resume their nuclear talks and that the sanctions the United States have put on them should be lifted. And he's saying that, of course, because he's keen to be partners with Putin and with Russia. In contrast, what do we see this week? British troops could be deployed to Saudi Arabia if Iran tensions escalate. This is all this week. It's just extraordinary, isn't it, that Tarshish will be with Sheba and Didan, the the Saudi Arabian power, the Gulf states. Boris Johnson says Britain ready to help defend Saudi oil. Boris Johnson says UK could join Trump in military action against Iran after Saudi Arabia attack. And you know, this is interesting because it's all in the light in the last few months of the fact that The establishment, the UK's uh, courts, said that the UK are not allowed, it's unlawful for them, to be selling arms into Saudi Arabia. So that's this summer. And then, just a couple of weeks ago, the British politician Liz Truss was forced to apologise after Britain flouted Saudi Arabian military sales ban. You see, Bible prophecy makes it clear that Tarshish will be in confederacy with Sheba and Dedan. In fact, this is this week, Britain's secret Saudi military support program the world is waking up to. What about the other leaders, the other players that we see in Ezekiel 38? Well, Erdogan, the the Turkish president, vows to continue oil and natural gas trade with Iran. America's incensed by this. They're furious that Turkey would do this. But Turkey is not going to be in alliance with Tarshish, the Commonwealth powers, and Sheba and Dedan. Russia, Iran, Turkey will facilitate the first session of Syrian Constitutional Committee. This is in New York this week. This is from a couple of months earlier in July. Russia, Iran, and Turkey to hold a Syria summit. State media in Iran, Russian Uh, indicate growing Russia-Iran-Turkey alliance. So where is the only world superpower in all of this? Where's America? What have they got to say on it? Well, we know, don't we, that Trump, in putting America first, as his mantra is in talking about the fact that he wants politics to be about national politics. He's not interested in globalization, he's just said to the UN. He is going to press on with what he sees as the American agenda. So he announces new sanctions on Iran, escalating the pressure in wake of the Saudi oil attack. But what's this doing to the world? Well, the Kremlin believes that the U.S. move on Iran brings Russia and Europe closer. So we might look on and think, well, you know, what's Trump doing here or what's Trump doing there? Actually, his actions are facilitating the driving together of Europe and Russia, exactly as we would want to see as Bible students. Is the US bringing Europe and Russia closer together? Trump's trade tariffs pushing Europe closer to China and Russia. Germany and Russia are getting closer. Here's why, all the same reasons. The U.S. move on Iran brings Russia and Europe closer. And what these nations are starting to do is engage together in, amongst other things, military drills. And in this last month, just in the last couple of weeks, China, Russia and Iran Plan joint naval drill in international waters. Watch a multi-nation military exercise underway in Russia. We know, don't we, from Daniel chapter 11, that one of the characteristics of the King of the North, of the Godian Confederacy, is that they will come, amongst other things, with many ships. And so this week, I was interested to see the naval base in Syria Cements Russia's Mediterranean foothold. This is on the news just this week. Step inside Russia's only naval base, outside the former Soviet Union, there in Syria. World War III alert, the Daily Express said. Shocking video of Russia preparing for war as they warn conflict on the rise. Just look again at verse 7 of Ezekiel chapter 38. God, through Ezekiel, says to Gog, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee. Be a guard to them. Russia has been asked by the angels to prepare, not just on their own, but with a company that will be assembled to them.
2: The armed forces of the Russian Federation kicked off strategic military exercises, Center 2019. The drills will last from September the 16th through the 21st. They are being held as the final stage of the complex of measures for operational training of the armed forces of the Russian Federation in 2019. The troops will go on training missions to combat international terrorism and ensure military security in the strategic region of Central Asia. The exercises will take place in two stages. During the first stage, the military will practice efforts to show proper reaction to airstrikes, conduct reconnaissance, search and defensive actions. During the second stage, commanders will work out issues of managing troops when delivering massive strikes and conducting offensive operations to defeat conditional enemy. To practice joint actions, the military contingents of China, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, India, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan are going to be involved in the exercises. About 128,000 troops, more than 20,000 units of weapons and military equipment, about 600 aircraft and up to 15 vessels and support ships will take part in the strategic command exercises.
0: That's just this last week or two. In the meantime, in the United Nations, the world's leaders this week have had their opportunity to be given the stage uh, in New York to give their message to the world. The Iranian President uh, Rouhani, in his message, said that the Middle East is one blunder away from war. The Turkish President addressed the UN just this week. Listen to what he had to say.
3: What about this map of Israel? Where is Israel? Where does the land of Israel begin and end? Look at this map. Where was Israel in 1947? And where is Israel now? Especially between the years 1949 and 1967. Where was Israel, and where is Israel now? Look, this is 1947, the land of Palestine. There is seemingly almost no Israeli presence on these lands. The entire territory belongs to the Palestinians, so the map suggests. But the year 1947, the uh, distribution plan takes place, gets ratified, Palestinian lands start shrinking, and Israel starts expanding. And from 1947 to 1967, 1967, Israel is still expanding, Palestine is still shrinking. And today, the current situation, there is seemingly no Palestinian presence. The entire land belongs to Israel. But would it suffice Israel? No. Israel is still willing to take over the remaining of the land, but. What about the United Nations Security Council? What about the United Nations? And what about the resolutions therein? Are those resolutions being activated? Are they being implemented and enforced? No. So we have to ask ourselves, what does the UN
0: serve? He's challenging the UN, isn't he, to do something about Israel. The fact that this nation keeps building as he sees it in the occupied Palestinian territories. Now, did you see that he was holding up that map there that's been around for for years and years and years of uh, the Israeli building around um, uh, the nation of Israel. And I think that what he was doing there is quite possibly mimicking Netanyahu, who last year in his UN speech held up a sort of similar-sized map. And I wonder that, that Erdogan, the Turkish president, is almost taking him on. This year, Netanyahu, because of the political situation in Israel, where they're struggling to form a government, wasn't able to be at the United Nations. He was scheduled to to give a speech there last night, but was unable to, to do so. But what seems to me extraordinary is that even without Netanyahu there, who are they talking about? They're talking about Israel. Come on, you've got to come to Isaiah 43. Why is it that they can't help themselves when given the world stage talking about Israel? Because Israel are God's witnesses. And so the scriptwriters for these prime ministers and presidents make sure, because the angels make sure they get it in there, that Israel are center stage. So look, Isaiah 43, verse 9. Let all the nations be gathered together. That's what they do in the United Nations. That's what we've seen this week in New York. Even Boris Johnson was there, albeit he had to fly home pretty early on Monday. But all the leaders of the world are there, gathered together, as Isaiah 43, verse 9 says. And what God says is, let the peoples be assembled. Let them come to the United Nations General Assembly. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses. And they don't. You know the witness they keep using? God's witness. It's like a court scene where the the defense keeps using the prosecution's witnesses, right? What they're doing is they're taking the witness of Israel. God says, look, verse 10, you're my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen. And yet in front of the world, the witness of Israel keeps being shown. And we saw that what Erdogan and uh, so many of the world leaders are so furious about is Israel's continuing commitment to build on what they see as the Palestinian territories. This is all this year that Israel wants to strengthen and annex West Bank settlements. The UN report, Israeli forces demolished 41 Palestinian homes in the past two weeks. The UN investigator says Israel is moving rapidly towards West Bank annexation to the United Nations uh, in July. Their special envoy came back saying that, that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is locked in a dangerous paralysis. Under Secretary General, the the, the Under-Secretary-General warns the Security Council, urging political will, leadership, to change course. Do something about Israel, is what they're saying. And yet, this is August, Israel approves 2,300 new homes for settlers in the West Bank. The Israeli destruction of Palestinian homes in West Bank is not compatible with international humanitarian law the United Nations says. The UN and France, interesting to see France have their say again, isn't it? Condemn Israel's demolition of homes in Palestinian controlled East Jerusalem area. And what Netanyahu has been trying to do in early September here and in August is get Trump to back him so that the israeli people would vote Netanyahu in because he sees with trump's support he's the one that can continue to build on the west bank territory this clip is just from the bbc news in a close race he upped the ante by promising to annex the occupied jordan valley around a third of the land palestinians want for a state It was an extravagant gambit to keep the votes of the Israeli right. In the valley, it's harvest time for date farms Palestinians and Israelis who've settled here since it was captured in the 1967 war. Come to Ezekiel chapter 36 with those pictures in our minds where we see clearly set out before the events of Ezekiel chapter 38, which we know well of the Gogin Confederacy dropping down into the land of Israel, onto the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel 36 gives a prophecy specifically about the mountains of Israel. Just look in verse 1. Also thou son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Prophesy to the West Bank and say... Verse 9, Behold, I am for you, I will turn unto you, you will be tilled and sown. What do we just see there in the pictures? On the, the, the mountains of Israel, on the West Bank Territory. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, even all of it. And the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded. I will multiply on you, man and beast, and they will increase and bring fruit. What have we just seen? And I will settle you. We're seeing, aren't we, the settlements of Israel on the mountains of Israel, and then ye shall know that I am the Lord. Netanyahu, just this week, was asked to form the next government. He's got six weeks to try to do that. We'll see how well he gets on. But of course, his commitment is to keep building. So we wonder, will the angels ensure that he does is able to form a government of some sorts, that the building work can continue? Or will there be a change in direction? Will there be someone doing something slightly different? We just don't know. What we do know is that Bible prophecy has come true. At the UN, Abbas rejects Israeli arrogance and vows to terminate all agreements if Palestinian territory is annexed. Let me just show you this speech.
4: A week before the recent Israeli elections, Israel's prime minister, Netanyahu, came out to arrogantly announce that, should he prevail in the elections, he would annex and apply Israeli sovereignty to the Jordan Valley, northern Dead Sea, and Israel's colonial settlements, despite the fact that all these areas are occupied Palestinian territory. It is time for the international community to uphold its responsibilities to bring an end to this Israeli aggression and arrogance. It is time to implement at least one resolution adopted by you concerning Palestine. Otherwise, all these resolutions are
0: do see, pointless. Do, do you see that what Erdogan and Abassi are doing, they're calling out the United Nations. They're saying to them, "Look, you're an embarrassment." You've, you've voted for all these resolutions against Israel and you've done absolutely nothing about it. So what they're trying to do, aren't they, is embarrass the UN into doing something to act against Israel. We, of course, are not surprised by the events that we're seeing in the building work. We're just interested to note that, that Brother Thomas, again, just remarkably said that there will have been a considerable gathering of Israelites upon the mountains of Israel before the invasion of the country by Gog. The scene is set. There is a considerable gathering of Israelites. There's half a million people on the mountains of Israel because God said, I will multiply men on you. It's just interesting to note as well, just... In the last couple of years, this story's grown, and in the last couple of months now, particularly. That as we see the divide in the nations, so the European Union is now preparing to put warning labels on Jewish products. In fact, the EU is now ready. They've done their preparation to put the warning labels on Israeli products. Well, what products? the products that have come from the Israeli-occupied territory. So we're seeing that within Europe, the woman is beginning to ride the beast. The European nations are courting Russia, creating a far stronger alliance. There's a mindset within Europe that's anti-Israel. And what it is that they're doing on the West Bank. And we shouldn't be surprised then to see in Ezekiel 38, just turn over a couple of pages again, that when the Confederacy come down, they don't just come down to any part of Israel, they come down, verse eight, after many days you'll be visited, in the latter years you shall be coming into the land that's brought back from the sword. So Israel will be back in the land and is gathered out of many people. You'll come, Against the mountains of Israel so the very issue that we're seeing in the United Nations this week The very issue of the Israeli people continuing the Jews building on the West Bank may well be part of the significant contention that will bring the Gogan Confederacy down into the land I Just uh, slipped this extra slide in here picking up on what uh, Brother Philip spoke to us about in our first address this morning, where he suggested to us that as uh, Vladimir Putin talks of uh, the Russian speakers in Israel, that perhaps it could be part of the spoil. Think about the Assyrians. What was it they took? Well, they took silver and gold, they took cattle, yet they took people. We wonder with one and a half million Russian-speaking Jews in Israel. You remember that when Putin went into Ukraine, he said internationally that part of his justification was, well, they speak Russian, don't they? This is their motherland. You just wonder that that perhaps this is part of the spoil. This week, Israel is a Russian-speaking country, Putin says. And so the world keeps asking the question, Israel and the Palestinians, can the settlement issue be resolved? And the answer is yes. But the solution is, of course, in the man who will come to save first the Jews and the people in and around the land. He will come first to the tents of Judah, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so although we can see through the sure word of prophecy that we are living in the last days, we can take heart from all of the things that we see that while the rest of the world watches on perplexed and confused and struggling to make sense of what's taking place, You and I, without needing to be political, are able just to take a step back from it and watch the hands of the angels in orchestrating world affairs that in the days of the iron and the clay, in the days of those kings, the stone cut out of the mountain without hands will come and will smash the image to pieces and a great kingdom will grow that will last forever. And so we ask ourselves these questions as we finish. Is Brexit going to allow Europe to develop closer ties with Russia? Yes, it is. Is the Gogan Confederacy being aligned what they are? Will we see Britain become closer to the Commonwealth nations, America and the Gulf States? It seems highly likely, doesn't it? Will Israel keep building? Well, we need to watch carefully what happens in the the, 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 the Israeli political situation is the scene being set for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems, brethren and sisters and young people, to me that any day now the Lord could come. In the meantime, we just need to be prepared to exercise patience. Remember the exhortation that was given to the Hebrews that after you've done the will of God you will receive the promise For yet a little while, he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul.